This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hi there, this is Mike Lord from Tabletop Genesis. This is Tom. This is Stacy. Hello, this is Simon. Oh, we're all energized today. And we are here to talk about the Ant Phillips' second album, Wise After the Event. I keep on wanting to call it Wind After the Event. Just kind of, uh, you know, mixing up wind and weathering. A lot of W titles. Oh, I had a little bit of Wind After the Event this morning. (laughs) That is not a reflection on the quality of this album. We're just... Kidding around, everybody. So, so we are here again, as to say, talking about uh, Ant's second album. We decided to skip the first one because we figured that was a little too obvious, and um, we'll give this one a chin wag, as the kids say nowadays. Yeah, we're diving into the deep cuts. Of course, <laughs> yes, and these are pretty deep cuts here. So, Simon, why don't you tell us what Wikipedia has to say about this lovely album? Certainly. Wise After the Event is the second studio album by English musician and composer Anthony Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be more than that. Or there, is, there is. Oh, yeah. yes. Released in May of 1978 on Arista Records in the United Kingdom and in June 1978 on Passport Records in the United States. Never heard of Passport Records. Mm. After promoting his previous album, The Geese and the Ghost, in 1977... Phillips began to prepare material for a new album. It remains his only album that features himself on lead vocals on each track. So that's the... (laughs) Well, that's a good... uh, I think that what's... If we put this in context, this was recorded about at the same time as... uh, And then there were three. So in the Genesis timeline. uh, Because I think in in, there was a box set put out for this uh, by Esoteric with a 5.1 mix. And in the liner notes, it said that I think either during the recording or mixing of this album, Ant got to a preview with the Genesis guys listening to, and then there were three at the time. So it has a little bit of, you know... And clearly had not influenced him at all (laughs) in this album. You can't pick two (laughs) different, more different albums. Well, this is an interesting thing about, you know, Ant's solo career at the time was that Geese and the Ghost came out, which was definitely under his name, but was almost like a joint Ant Phillips-Mike Rutherford album. Uh, because the writing and the performance of there, Mike was really involved in a lot of that. So this is almost his first true solo album. I Yeah, because I, I remember when we first talked about us doing an Aunt Phillips album, I think we were originally talking about The Geese and the Ghosts because it was his first. And there's mm-hmm. Mike's on the album. I think Phil Collins is on the album. Yes. But... I, I don't know. I, I feel like you said that it's truer. And I always felt like Geese and Ghost is a smarter album, but the Wise After the Event is a truer album. Like, right. it feels more personable. It feels like you're really hearing Ant's voice. Right. Um, and getting to know him as a solo songwriter. So 
I'm glad we're talking about this one. No, no, uh, you know, no bad feelings for um, Geese and the Ghost, but I think this is actually uh, a more interesting album to like really get into. Yeah. I would also say that I think that it's a truer template of the Anthony Phillips sound than Geese and the Ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think going forward, kind of, this gives a, a better sense of who he is as a writer, as a performer, and the type of music that obviously speaks to him. And I think that Ant has had a, a very interesting career. I think if if you're if you can make a living at music for your entire life, you're doing pretty well. And as as people may remember from our interview with him, he's done a lot of library music and a lot of things alongside this more public solo career. And he's been able to balance this out and have a career in music that, that worked for him for, for the level of fame that he probably wanted in his, in his life. And that actually brings me around to a, uh, an important question. Would you be able to, Mike, because mm-hmm. you are so much better with the words oh, uh, okay. than, than many of us. Uh, would you be able to, to sum up for, for those may, people that are maybe less knowledgeable about Genesis, what Anthony Phillips' part is in the Genesis world? Sure. I, as people may or may not know, from back, Ant was one of the original four members of the band, along with Tony Banks, Peter Gabriel, Mike Rutherford, from back at Charterhouse. They were all students together. And basically, Ant was if not the driving force, one of the, I mean, they were all driving forces, but Ant was a very important writer to Genesis for those first two albums, from for Genesis to Revelation for Trespass. And they say that when Ant left uh, because of, you know, some kind of stage fright issues and some personal kind of, you know, I think he was sick with some sort of, you know, fluish type thing for a long time, that that was the one time where they really thought, should we just end this now? Because he was such an important writer in the band. And, and presence. And presence, exactly. And the guitarist. And was, and you can really hear, if you listen to Trespass specifically, you can see the line from Trespass to Geese to this album very clearly, but also see what Genesis got from Ant Phillips, which I think was probably carried forward by Mike Rutherford more than anybody else in the band. So it's an interesting career. This is this album is from seven, eight years after he left the band. And but there's but there's a feel to it that you listen to and you're like, it's the same family. It's the yeah. same, mm-hmm. you know, it's a different path that had Ant stayed in Genesis, Genesis would have been, I don't want to say very different, but different from what it became. Um Ant tended, Ant's material tends not, I'm going to generalize here, tends not to have the harder edge that Genesis kept. But there are a couple things on sides, the next album after this, that actually do kind of have a bit more of an instrumental power to them than I think anything on this album. And there's not, that's not a dig on this album. I think this album feels very cohesive to me, but it's not... I wouldn't call this an edgy instrumental album no. in any way, shape, or form. There is no bombast on it. No, there's not. I think this is a very there's true power. album. Yes, mm-hmm. I think there's a power to it, but a very different type of power than a big chord, loud type of uh, statement. I think when we <clears throat> originally put uh, the word out on Facebook that our next album we were going to cover is Wise After the Event, and we put out you know the poll mm-hmm. to get people's favorite songs, I think it was probably like, a decent 
percentage of people who are like, I don't really know this album. I don't mm-hmm. know his solo stuff. And I think we'd even put a disclaimer saying, don't worry, one of the tabletop members has never heard a lick of Anthony Phillips' solo work. And I'll admit that that was me. <laughs> uh, yeah. We might have to withdraw your card for now. So. But there was also a significant element there that said, finally. Yeah. And to, to, to give you some sense of, of his influence, if you've ever heard of the band Big Big Train, mm-hmm. they're huge Ant Phillips fans. Yeah. They and actually you, covered a track of his on one of their albums. Exactly. Yeah. And you can hear the Ant Phillips in the yes. Big Big Train music. I mean, I, I'm glad we were covering it because one, it gave me a chance to finally mm-hmm. listen to some Anthony Phillips. And also because we were listening to Wise after the event and I didn't have any of his other work to compare it to, I went and listen to Geese, Af- Geese and the Ghost. So I had two brand new albums that mm-hmm. I got to listen to, mm-hmm. and it was like, I remember for a week and a half, two weeks up to, you know, listen, like, recording this podcast, like really enjoying it and like really like regretting not having listened to this a long time ago because it is a very in- integral part of the whole Genesis history. And yeah, you do get make the connections back to Trespass and, and from Genesis to Revelation, the guitar work, and plus, you know, with Geese and, Geese and the Ghost, you do get Phil Collins on two tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, John Hackett, I think, plays yeah, flute. Yeah, Mike right. Rutherford. So it's it's part, at least definitely the first album, of like if you're going to listen to a Genesis solo record, Geese and the Ghost, and even this one, it should be part of your listening you know, package. And you've got to remember that uh, Ant Phillips also played on other Genesis members' solo yes. albums. He as played well. on Small Creeps Day and. Um, Did he? No, he didn't. No, you're one. right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> We're yeah. reading each other's minds. Yeah, no, there's nothing else. But that, but small, but he's a very important part of Small Creeps Day. Yeah. And that is, an, again, another very successful collaboration between he and Mike, although he's just playing keyboards on that one. It's showing another thing of his. I think that both this album, Wise After the Event, and Geese and the Ghost, are good gateway drugs for uh, for later Aunt Phillips. Well, that too. Uh, for for later Aunt Phillips albums, I think that you know, and maybe I'll talk more about this at the end. Like I actually think, as a song based album, the next one sides might be a little better than this album. Uh, but this one is maybe the most cohesive song based album that Ant Phillips did too. So, you know, when I say I think Sides maybe is a little better for me personally, it really is just that personal taste of which songs do I like better. Yeah, I, Sides is very similar to Wise After the Event. So if you've heard Wise After the Event um, or you, you're you going to listen it, to it and you enjoyed it, definitely check out Sides. For me, Sides is only really better in terms of production. Yeah. But it, to me, you know, I... Yeah. In terms of songwriting and the quality of the of the album itself, it's pretty. Yeah. They're pretty on par for me. They right. If you're, kind of, yeah. if you're umming and awing about getting sides, <laughs> just just get it. <laughs> and if you haven't listened to sides, you probably don't get that joke. But that's okay. So well, with that, well, where's my list? I need to. I, this is an album. I have to be honest. I need to have my list in front of me to know what song comes Come on, next. Come take a guess. Who do you think it is? Oh, I think this might be the self-titled track. Wise after the event. And oh no! Wait. You're wrong. Wait. Wait. I am wrong. <laughs> wait. Wait. I, Thank wait. you for playing. Yeah. I'm sorry. And wait, we're wait. done. What am I looking at here? Oh, we're all as we lie. Oh, I'm I'm an idiot. So because I have my heading here on my notes for wise after the event, so I was like, oh, that's the first track. And as I'm saying it, I'm like, is that wrong? Yeah. So let's yeah. let's keep this, but I'll do take two. So we're going to talk 
about the first track on the album, We're All As We Lie. speak when it comes to Genesis albums about how the first song is often a handshake, uh, a statement of intent to uh, grab one of your phrases from previous episodes about about albums. And I don't think that Anthony Phillips is any different in his. This really is an introduction to the world of, of what uh, Anthony Phillips is, is about. He's all about the 12 strings. Yeah. He's all about developing themes at a, a very idiosyncratic pace, I suppose is the best way to describe it. He really takes his time to build a theme. Yeah. Um, and and this song really, I won't say it's quintessential uh, Anthony Phillips, but if, if a- anybody played that, I'd know instantly that this was an Anthony Phillips track. Yeah, it's, it's actually, I was... Tempted to vote for this for my favorite song on the album, but I, I decided to that it was a little too obvious. Um, but that's <laughs> well, you don't want to be the obvious child. Yeah, well, exactly. Every, so, that's you know that's classic Aunt Phillips. Right. You know, the big hit. You don't yeah. want to. Um. Right. Don't 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 go too too with it. But it was also there was another song on here that I did like like more than this that that I thought was a little bit more uh, more what I liked. But I think that this. The arrangement of this, and like you said, it's it's kind of this song that has, you know, different levels to it. And then the first time when I was kind of listening to this for the podcast, I was like, I'm like, where's my lyric sheet? What is this about? And then I'm looking at the lyrics, and I'm like, oh, this is about golf. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> like, well, because I wouldn't think that just from listening to the melody and the kind of the sound of the vocals versus the vocals itself. I think it was because Anthony Phillips recognized that Devil Worship was already <laughs> taken by Black Sabbath. Yes. Mm. So next on the list was golf. Yes. <laughs> They're both pretty evil. Um, well, what's funny, because I had also written that I wasn't sure of the lyrics, because they, they aren't the easiest lyrics to to understand yes. like his way of singing you do kind of have to reference the lyrics to make it out exactly what he's saying and once i started looking up the lyrics to the song i was kind of fine not knowing them <laughs> i was like all right i'm just i can just listen to him singing yeah. it's very john lennony i thought yeah, kind of kind of sit, yeah. sitari a little bit back and forth and i thought it was a very catchy me- melody i mean just dun, 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 like just that repetition and 
even the, even the chorus, we are as we lie. I thought that was very, very catchy. Yeah, I love the chorus. I think that's my favorite part of the song. And just to kind of echo what Tom was saying about um, the lyrics, you know, I don't know what any song on this album is about because <laughs> yeah, it's sure. very hard for me to understand Ant. Um, he's clearly has a very distinct vocalization style, um, which sounds it sounds good yeah, it's i mean if we it's a uh, you know it's it's better than mike rutherford <laughs> um in my opinion so it, yes you are 100 percent correct. <laughs> it's listenable but it for me it's it there isn't he, i mean obviously he's not a lead singer so no. there there it's lacking that kind of dynamic range that you i would don't get. think we were expecting ronnie james no Dio, no i'm not saying that but i'm just saying i because of that Mm. I was hoping you guys could tell me what each song's about because I didn't really yeah. look up the lyrics. So yeah. if we could make that a part yeah, of the show yes. and yeah. um, guide me and our listeners through that, that would yeah. be awesome. But so is this the first song of many about golf? Yeah. This the, is this a concept really album about golf? Well, that kind of makes sense because that's a term in golf, the lie. Like, where does your ball yes. lie? Like, yeah. oh, it's... So yeah, and, and, and Ant is very into wordplay. Like, he, a lot of his titles, even of instrumentals, are clever. Mm. And there's some type of... You know, sometimes there's literary references. Sometimes they're just goofy jokes that he does. Like, he has this good sense of humor about things. And, and part of it is, like, I think it's actually kind of funny that he starts off, again, for all intents and purposes, his first solo album with a song about golf. And I'm like, that's that's kind of ballsy, haha, in its own way. And... <laughs> And it's, it's very different. It's not what you would expect. Like, there are... But it's also the sound of this song, I think, makes it that handshake, that first track of, mm. oh, this will draw you in if you like this sound, if you like this type of music. I, I think that that's one of the things which sets um, him apart in some ways from, from many of the other uh, solo outings by uh, members of, and ex-members of Genesis is that there is equal parts sincerity and playfulness in the songs that he writes yeah and it's like this is about golf but there's also a lot of kind of religious and biblical kind of references in here just where it talks about the papal prince and you know as luther strode up i assume he means martin luther here you know it's there are references along those lines that i'm like oh this is like it's it's not it's not a narrative about golf it's a there's a line. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I am overthinking this a little bit. But, oh, please do. This is yeah. fascinating. But he talks about Plato and Justinian. You know, Buzz Aldrin is mentioned in here. Wow, you know, he's all over the place. Yeah, it is. And, and, but of course, they played golf on the moon, didn't they? Yeah, well, yeah. One of the astronauts oh, right. did kind of bring That's his right. uh, golf ball and clubs up there. Or as something you could turn into a club. Uh, Alan Shepard was the one who did that. Yeah. But, the, but it's... Ant in the liner notes for the reissue talks about that the producer of this album really worked a long time with him to because he says he's not a natural singer right. and but worked a lot, lot with him to get his vocals to a state where Ant was okay with them and again because I think artists are often most critical of themselves in this in this way and he he does have an interesting voice that fits this music but I'm also glad that on the next album, he did use some outside singers just because I think the music could be put forward better, sometimes by a different singer. Yeah. And if you can recognize that, that's that's a good thing. You serve the song. Yes. So, yeah. Exactly. I mean, on a skit, on if you had to place his mm-hmm. vocal styling, would you say it's under Phil, Steve, 
and Peter, but above Tony and Mike. Yeah, that seems like yeah. reasonable, yeah. I'd put him on an equivalent with Tony in a different way, because I actually do kind of like Tony's singing voice. Um, well done. Yeah, exactly. I'm the one. You are the one. Uh, so, but, but I think that it's... I, they're, I think both Tony and Ant are definitely above Mike's singing voice. I think we shouldn't. It's everybody deserves yes. a prize. Everybody, yes. you know, hey, they're all winners. Everyone gets a participation trophy. Yes, yes. <laughs> because they have participated. I, I, I find it interesting because really, if he'd have come from a uh, a Nick Drake background, no one would be talking about yeah. his voice in the yes, same way. You're right. Yeah, it's only in comparison to Phil and Peter, two of the best vocalists in rock. Mm-hmm. You know that it's that it's some like, of the oh, best vocalists in Genesis as well. Exactly. So. So with that, uh, we'll go into the next punch song on this album uh, called Bird Song. I hear the birds come greet me in my morning. They sing the songs of love in tongues of ages past. And all the while a vision is unfolding. The morning pipes of me don't sleep the day away And so with cautious steps I tread A measured path through fail and rock And many signs you'd want to take me one of my favorite songs on the album all right great um you know when we had the poll when we it was my turn to it was my time to um cast my vote it was difficult choice between this song and another one Mm. um and i like this and it because it reminds me of something that i could hear being on nursery crime yes um like i could picture gabriel singing this track Mm. um Especially towards the end, I think it's like the last minute or two, that, that instrumental outro, it sounds very nursery crime to me. Has kind of that, that feel to it. Um, the reprise. The reprise. Well, not the sunrise. <laughs> not the sunrise, <laughs> well, yes. Well, I, ha- I have to say, you can look at my notes, could see Gabriel singing this one. Oh. I wrote, oh, Stacey, we wrote this down. So this was, in the liner notes for the reissue, he does talk about when these songs were written, and this one was written right after he left Genesis. So he's still in that mode of writing music that could be played by that band in that era and everything. So not, that that just proves how deep in my DNA Genesis and the and, <laughs> and all that music is in yeah. <laughs> in me. Yeah. So it's it's funny because like it's I wrote down that it feels like music from another century, like it's mm-hmm. it's very 
again, like people always talk about Tony's music being very romantic and everything, and this feels very English folk to me. Uh, even when the bass and drums kick in, it still has that feel of, if you told me this was a 19th century, you know, folk song from some English person, I'd be like, oh, okay, that works. Hot sex madrigal in my pants. <laughs> exactly. So those they, they, had to, they had to play something back in the day, and that was the one that they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this, especially as it gets going. Simon talked about the songs taking their time to get where they're going and and this one like when the drums and bass come in i'm like oh finally good there's there's something happening here i think when it comes to anthony phillips one of the things which really comes out of his solo material is the fact that he is like all of the other members of the band and in some ways kind of makes me just by listening to the 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 tracks it establishes the characters of the people who wrote in that band. Yes. And he is a man on a mission. Mm-hmm. There's a sound about uh, mm-hmm. his his songs, which obviously really did fit with the early Genesis. And he hadn't finished with that by the time he left Genesis. And there was still... So I always remember um, Neil Peart talking about his drum solos. And, and he often sort of said, you know, I'm not finished exploring that area. Yeah. And I think that it's the same with uh, with Anthony Phillips. I think that there was a, a delicacy and a sort of rhapsodic, if you will, quality to, to the music that he was chasing, especially with the 12-string the, the guitars. And you've got to remember that Genesis didn't really purge the 12-string guitars from there sound until the start of the 80s right so it was something i think that they were all very interested in or at least it touched upon some part of them as 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 writers yes definitely i think that this is where you start seeing or or where you can see the cross-pollination of what they all liked about the work they did together Mm -hmm. and obviously if this song is from at the time you know seven or eight years previously it's something that obviously still spoke to Ant in the moment and had, I mean, he probably rewrote some of this as it went on, but, you know, it's definitely something that has that feel to it of, oh, this is what I brought to this band. And this is the type of things that, again, as Stacy said, could have been on nursery crime in a certain way. So um, it's, you get these slices of alternate history through some of these solo mm-hmm. albums, and it's always interesting to see where this goes. We should also mention that on the bass and drums for this album, it's Mike Giles from King Crimson on drums, and John Perry, who was in a band Caravan... Wow, okay, um, I did not know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was the two of them. And they also were the rhythm section, I think, on the next album also, and maybe some other tracks here and there. So um, so again, it was a good pedigree of musicians that he had with him for this album that, that I think both he and the producer kind of brought in. And so it's uh, it's very good. Mel Collins shows up on sax uh, later on, so another King Crimson member. So there's there's interesting, uh, you know, family tree information in here also. I, I do like, uh, again, how the beginning of the song sounds very kind of like old English, but then as soon as he adds like the vocal effects and there's like a chord change, it gets very ominous and very dark. Mm. Like I, I like that kind of change, like almost... Like Steve Hackett would do with his music, like it starts off one way and then it takes you down kind of like a a different path. And and speaking of Steve Hackett, even when the song goes into a guitar solo, I think around, and I wrote it down, four minutes and ten seconds, mm-hmm. I re- literally had to check the liner notes because I 
would have sworn that Steve Hackett was guesting on that guitar solo. It's such a Hackett solo that I was real surprised to find out that it wasn't him. Their approaches to songwriting are very similar. Yeah. Like the, you know, that kind of gentle intro or that instrumental intro, then it kind of goes through the song. And then they just like to say, okay, I'm kind of done with the telling the story, so now I'm just going to get weird for like <laughs> 90 seconds. That mm-hmm. is, yeah, Ant Phillips does that a lot, and so does Hackett. So um, this is a great example of that. So if you, you're really into Hackett's music, mm-hmm. check out the song and see if you th- you agree with us. We will now move on to the third track on the album called Moon Shooter. Every little thing she's wanted, every little thing she's had to get. Every single thing she's squandered Every single thing she's had to let Moon shooter As free as ebbing tide Moon shooter No keeping this better than your own special way i like this better than your own special way and i actually hadn't made the connection i think probably in the back of my mind i was hearing something but until simon just pointed out before this before we started talking yes your own special way has that little chorus that little stacy's shaking her head no yeah they're equally unlistenable (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry you can't like everything you know this is i'm gonna be straight up it's uh you know my least favorite track on the album Mm -hmm. um i think it's a combo of um yeah this is a low point of of ant's vocals for me i feel like this just wasn't in his uh wheelhouse um and the uh it just kind of goes on a little bit too longer. Mm. I feel like he could have wrapped it up. It's kind of got that Hey Jude, like, are we mm. done yet um, feel to it. But, um, yeah. Or so. your own special way feel right, to well, it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. we go that far. Yeah, yeah. all right. <laughs> but so, the, so do you think you would like it more if there was a different singer? Maybe. Right, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's hard to say. I, 
probably not that much more because I very much, um, as a music listener, uh, an album listener, I tend to focus more on music than lyrics and vocals anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I really love a lot of vocalists who many people say, oh my God, they're unlistenable. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, I don't know if another vocalist okay. would... would Vanderbilt Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's... Yeah, no. <laughs> See, but I actually like him. Uh, as a so singer, do I. So, yeah. no. But I know why people don't, and it yeah. made sense yeah. to me. Yeah. So, yeah. What's well, so funny that you should put that, because I put, I like everything about this song. <laughs> you actually do put that. That's I do true. have that. I, I think we're the Good. polar opposites. I like everything about the song. I like his voice on the song. I like the chorus, verses. I like the chorus. I said I just got the your own special way kind of hooked to it, but it's a better way that it's done. It's not that yeah. you you have. It's not. It's kind of like <laughs> it's that repetition of the moon shooter. I'm not a huge fan of that title, but other than that. I just really like the way it goes. Towards the end, there's lots of great piano flourishes, mm. which I think really add to the song. Uh, for me, it has that sort of ripples feel a little bit. Like for me, I know you mentioned the previous song was more ripples to you. This this reminded me of ripples more than the previous song. But I, I just, I really like when this song comes on, I just sing along to it and get mm. carried away, swept away, I guess. I, I'm with you on swept that. Away. This was one of the two tracks that I, that I took away from this album really enjoying. Fair enough. I, I, I think it. there's the lyrics here that are in the middle of the track. Florida is where you'll find her, lazy in the sticky summer sun, living in a dying city, waiting for the traveling troops to come. I think that's just a great bit of lyric writing right there. I think it's just, it fits the music. It, it's very evocative. It gives you an image of kind of what the song is moving towards and what the song is showing you and everything. So, um, so yeah, it's, again, fascinating to me that the three guys here really like this track and <laughs> Stacy does not. It's my ovaries. They just can't. <laughs> I, I, will, I will admit that there is an abundance of acoustic saccharin yes, running yes, through yes. this album. Yeah. And that, but that in itself is not necessarily, for me, a deal breaker. Um, I do like the occasional lilting song with, with um, sparkly bits yes. around the edges, you know. Yeah. You can see kind of a, if it, this was played live, there's this when the glitter ball would have the lights reflecting <laughs> on it, kind of spinning around the theatre, auditorium, wherever it might be playing. When so. Stacey's getting another beer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I know this song. She's like, ah. Time to pee. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Well, this is a 75% win on this uh, for this song. So uh, we'll move on now to now the title track of the album, Wise After the Event.
dig this song i think just from the moment it starts with that keyboard kind of lush atmosphere mm. starting and then it gets into what i put down as kind of like a japanese kind of feel to the strumming mm. uh repetition it just like really grooves right from the get-go i yeah i i wrote down um you know if you're a prog fan like me you hear a intro like that you're like rubbing your hand you're like oh it's gonna be good yeah, exactly. <laughs> it pays off it, it doesn't does. let you Plus, down you know it's 10 minutes or whatever it is. Exactly. So you know you're yeah. in for a ride. Mama bring the good stuff. <laughs> you hear that intro, you're looking at the track length, you're like, all right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. It is probably, the, the I think as we said in the in the gap, that it's probably the most Genesis-y one of it. But, you know, I said it's, the, the guitar reminded me of Deep in the Motherload, mm. which again, mm-hmm. concurrent with this album, is when Genesis is doing And Then There Were Three. It just has that feel to it of a track that, you know that does have a drive to it, which a lot of the other songs on this on this album don't. They don't have mm-hmm. that drive, and that's not a knock on them. It's just an observation that that's not what he was going for with those songs. Whereas with this song, I think whether he when he comes up with the with the guitar rhythm or the song as a whole, it's like this is a building song. This can kind of have those different kind of atmospheres to them. Yeah, that's one of the um, things I noticed. Just as a comment for the overall album, I feel like it. a lot of the songs for me, and when I was listening to this album to prepare for the podcast, or even, even before, before mm-hmm. we even um, decided to cover this, all the songs seem to blend together f- to me. Um, they kind of run into each other. And as you were saying earlier, Mike, mm-hmm. it's a very cohesive, complete thought. Right. I think that the downside of that is that the, it really does lack some of that dynamism. Dynamism. Samalsis. Samalsis. It lacks a samalsis. But this song has definite movement. Yes, but I, yes, yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to continue to say. Like, this is the one track where I feel like I, I, I refer to it as this kitchen sink song. He's well, doing they, everything in here. And that it does stand out. It is recognizable. Yeah, if, this came, if this came out, if you were listening to all your music, on random play and this song came out you'd be like oh why is after the event right whereas if another track came on you might be like oh what's this is ann phillips what's the title of this one Mm -hmm. or which one is this which album is it from like this has whether it's because of the arrangement or whatever it does have that personality that sticks around a little bit longer my opinion about this track is that it occupies the same space as some of the tracks on the first Hackett solo album in that it is one of the hidden gems in the Genesis world. Mm-hmm. It's one, and I think it's probably maybe a candidate for 
the most undiscovered treasure in their world because it's a fabulous uh, tune which builds it has several sections and then there is this amazing interlude um, musical instrument instrumental interlude uh, in the center which just completely changes pace mm-hmm. and goes through all of these different movements again using um, Anthony Phillips's signature 12 string sound mm-hmm. but there is just something about it and then it gets to the other end and it's like um, you get this build of tension which then just releases back into the main theme of the song that's a little bit of genius right there yeah. in my opinion yeah it's very I, I thought that the ups and downs of this were great and the I thought the end was very Beatlesque, kind of uh, you know, just with how it goes off. And it's <laughs> a sort of little outro. Oh isn't my god, yes, that yeah, outro makes yeah. the hair stand up on my arms. Yeah. Like it definitely, like that last those last ninety seconds give me chills. And no other Genesis solo album or uh, moment in the solo album still does that to me. Um, it's it is it's if I could relate it to something similar, maybe, like there's some some moments in Hackett's work mm-hmm. again, kind of you know that have that feel, but this is another level. And those end choruses, we actually he goes back to a line from "We're All As We Lie," mm-hmm. the getting wiser, so much wiser, just repeated, but like as a big not sing along chorus, but kind of like that. And then yeah. he goes into the fade out, which I thought was a little bit reminiscent of what Mike. Would have done, what had done on Small Creeps Day or hadn't done yet, but it has that same kind of feel. It's yeah. like almost like a Stranger Things kind of theme, which, as I said, you can make the hair stand yeah. on the back of your neck. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the last set of uh, lyrics also kind of reference Elvis here. A million men marched on Memphis to pay respects to their king. You know, Memphis is where Elvis was living, Graceland and all that. And so, and I think if this was 78, that was maybe right around when Elvis died. It was a year after. Year after. Oh, so, yeah. so it's tied into that, or at least you can connect that. But also it's, it's not kind of, it certainly doesn't sound like an Elvis song, but mm-hmm. it's not, but it's, it, I like the tracks that reference that because until I sat and kind of really went through the lyrics mm-hmm. with this, I was like, oh, that's, I know what that reference is. So what is this that. song about? To uh, my earlier the, point in, yeah. the sh- in the podcast. Well, this was a, this was a new track. It wasn't, it wasn't something historical. Okay. I, I wrote down that I thought it was about kind of like flying kites. Okay. Um, but I don't know for sure. Like the yeah, uh, it's it's a little. It's oh, a little there, are, there. Are there are lots of kite references. I, the, well, I got you know it's funny looking at the album covers. There's there's a lot of different stuff in the album covers. I don't know if there's actually a kite out here anywhere. Um, but I I wrote down uh, kite lyrics, um, <laughs> and I have to think that what I meant. Were you on the edibles at that time? I could be. Yeah. So I, it's not cute lyrics. Uh, it's definitely a K. Uh, but I don't know quite. Looking at these lyrics now, I'm not quite sure that it's kite related. But I think it's it's kind of a festival fair, you know, outdoorsy type of. Mm-hmm. Like it has that feel to it for me. But but I also don't think that this is. 
looking at the lyrics now, I don't see this being something that's telling a narrative of any type. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's bring a call to action here and say if you know out there what yes. you think the uh, the song is about, we'd love to hear what you've yeah. got to say. You know, by replying on our website or on yes. Facebook. And I don't think it hurts to not know what a song is, is about. There's no, plenty of songs out there. I mean, I, I like Close to the Edge. Tell me well, what that's we, about. we spent, what, yeah. eight hours talking about the lamb? Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. There's uh, multiple <laughs> interpretations there. So, yeah, so I think this is this is a great track on the album. I think it, and it's uh, in the LP days, Close of Side One, mm-hmm. to make you want to turn that record over and listen to the next track, which is Pulling Faces. song but i almost feel like it doesn't live up to the potential of the intro like the intro to me is really good and then it goes into the verse which kind of pulls it back a little bit but as the song moves forward i'm like oh i feel like it regains some of the power of the intro yeah um but it doesn't it doesn't quite carry the momentum there but it does show that ant can write music that isn't just kind of all 12 stringy and, and pastoral yeah, this is his rock track yeah. of the album. And like you, Mike, I'm like, when I'm listening to him, I'm like, come on, I know you got more. Yeah. You dig deep. Yeah. <laughs> it just there. needs a little bit. And maybe it's just, uh, you know, the the time it was done, the production. Because yeah. I feel like the drums sound like you're, was, you're that, drumming on like sandbags. Yeah, that was one of the so. things. I think this is the one track that really shows the limitations of the production yeah. yes. on the album. Yeah. And, it, and it definitely... Had Ant been somebody who played live, both the last track and this track would have been turned into something, I think, more powerful oh, yeah. live. I'd love to hear this live. Yeah. Love and to well, hear this live. you can. I can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a group in Britain called um, Rocking Horse Music Club. And so what they did is they, actually they have a whole album of Ant covers, which actually features Steve Hackett, John Hackett, Noel McCalla wow. on different tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they performed... Uh, a couple times live, mm-hmm. uh, and I know so it, going back in 2019, I think. Yeah, I think I know for this 
track pulling faces is one that you can find on YouTube. I'm not sure about the others, but at least mm. this one you can okay. see how it was done live. All right. Because it's good to have his stuff done live, even yeah. if he's not doing it. If I may ask, um, you may. he must have had at uh, some point in an interview being questioned about the fact that he didn't play live yeah. and i mean did he has he ever played live post genesis no he did one album that was like a live radio show just him and maybe another guitarist playing and that was kind of him saying well i'm not going to play live but maybe this is a way people can hear some of this some live versions of guitar versions of these songs with him singing them like there's a version maybe a silver song out there that he did on this and maybe a couple other things that are again more of the quieter you know pastoral type of things that he did so so yeah i think he just decided as part of his career that playing live was not where he wanted to be at so um i know somebody asked him at one point that if he had been invited to the to the reunion in 82 um would he have participated and he kind of basically said well not really because that wasn't where he was at in playing and not playing up to, not being able to play live. Playing live is a different skill set than playing in a studio or recording, you know, music the way that he was recording it. So it just wasn't kind of in something that he was really super interested in. Well, and it's been documented. Yeah tons of times that he has stage fright so yeah of course and if and if i mean who knows if, if these albums that sold millions would he have been pressured to try to play live maybe but it wasn't like it wasn't like there was a groundswell of oh we've got to see this band on the road he could be like robert fripp and like hide yeah. behind some speakers exactly. or something <laughs> yeah. i think i think it was a very rare thing in yeah. the 70s for an artist to be successful on the basis of albums only. Right. I mean, I'm the only one I can immediately think of is Mike Oldfield, really, sure, yeah. who never who who found success through an album before live. I genuinely believe that these songs would have had a very different feel and tenor if played in front of an audience, yes. especially during a, a '70s audience where <laughs> this level of bombast would have been appreciated. I think. I mean, I'm not saying that. Um, Bombast at any age is, is not appreciated if it's done well, but right. these songs would have really suited a 70s touring band, in my opinion. Right. But it's it's also interesting just because looking at the time frame of this in the 78 when this came out, it's like, oh, that's also at the time when punk was starting yeah. around or, or had been around for a bit of time. And I think The Police's first album was in 78, I think. 70, yeah, it was 78. So it's yeah. like... Ant's music, in this respect, never really fit into that kind of rock equation, which doesn't mean it's it's bad or couldn't have found a bigger niche somewhere, but it's it's kind of in its own time. But it was, uh, but that's yeah. I, I I think it was just something for Ant. It just wasn't of interest to him, or or something that he felt he could put forward. So. You know, that's unfortunate, but because I think some of this music, if even if you had just done kind of English club dates or something, could have had a different lo- a different life to it. The only thing that I... I mean, this song is fine. Like, I, I enjoy it. I rock out. The only thing that I... <laughs> I enjoy it. I rock out. <laughs> I do at the very end is that crescendo buildup is kind of like a day in the life. Mm. I'm waiting for that piano crash at yes. the very end, yeah. and it never comes, and I'm <laughs> always kind of waiting for that. But I think just... It, I, a little of that I, I've I've seen a lot of Beatles kind of influence 
on some of his music and i think this the very last crescendo is very reminiscent of the beatles have, have any of you heard of the band tattoo yes like this song felt very tattooish I, to me that's a great observation i totally see what you mean yeah. with regards to that now yeah. if people aren't aware of who tattoo yeah. were Clatu were a band and uh, sort of like, it was a, a moment in time, a bit of a sort of like recording phenomenon there where they released an album. And if you've heard any track from Clatu, it will have been a track called Calling Occupants from Interplanetary Craft, which was then covered by The Carpenters. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the rumour at the time was that it was the Beatles who had secretly reformed yes. and had written... A, a an album yeah. of new material that album. Yes. and as soon as you listen to the album you're like how did people think that <laughs> but but it was a story back yeah. in the day so you get that mandela effect sort yeah. of like as people going oh well okay let's run with that yeah. then and i totally see the yeah. comparison between and this track and that right and it's and and the there's a feel especially from the intro into the first verse where i'm like oh this sounds tattoo to me Yes. So, because I actually, one of my roommates in college got me into tattoo, and I, I have to say, there's some tattoo that I like unironically. Uh, it's not just because of the story of the Beatles stuff and everything, and but that has that feel to it where I'm like, oh, this this reminds me of that. And again, it's that mid to late '70s style production style and the way that everything fits together that made me think, oh. Clatu could have covered this, so, uh, or maybe Aunt Phillips was Clatu, and uh, there's that connection okay, there. No more edibles. Okay, <laughs> yes, no, I'm going down a rabbit hole here that I can't sustain. So, um, well, with that, we will start. And pulling faces, we should talk about is you know making silly faces. So. That's what the song's about. I, well, I guess, yeah. Okay. The title is at least so. Yeah, so, but um, but the next title is. Yes, I have many But none so great As spending your love For how sweet How sweet your love As feces fire As tender as dew So So, Mike, what's this song about? It's about regrets. 
What more can you say? It's the saddest song perhaps ever committed to tape. Um, maybe not quite that sad, but this is one of these ballads that, you know, I think kind of proves guys can be sensitive too, um, but maybe a little too sensitive. Bordering on maudlin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I like the Estrain arrangement. Uh, it mentioned in the liner notes, which I could have just read to you all, I guess, that the, he wanted to do strain arrangements for three of the tracks, but this one took too long, so they only had time to do the strings for this, and it works on this. It makes it even sadder than it would be without the strings. This song reminds me a little bit in in a kind of feel to some of the tracks that Dennis Wilson was doing on Pacific Ocean Blue with that very sort of like quiet, deeply sombre mm. kind of sound. It just sounds like 70s ballad to me. <laughs> you know? Put that stamp on it, 70s like, ballad. Everything is. If this was if this was a video, it would be all blurry and washed out, and mm. there would be you know. I just see I just see seventies hair and and clothing. Mm. Yeah, it's just. Well, the beginning kind of reminds me of my way a little bit. Regrets. Oh. I've had a few. Yeah. Like so, it's kind of. I don't know if he's just paying homage to that song, where mm. it's kind of like his take on looking back on his life and regrets that he might have had. Um, so at the beginning, I'm kind of like, ah, it's, it's more, it's too much like that that song. But as it progresses, I think the arranging is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strings that come in, and it's a really nice song. And I, I think maybe the arranging skills, I, we haven't touched on it yet, but Anthony also went back to school, like yes. in, beti- in between the time he left Genesis, to study like music theory, yeah, yeah. right? So he, I, I think there was two different subjects he was basically taking uh, just to kind of hone his skills on on music and, and how to arrange stuff and I think it shows off on a song like this where it starts off ni- nice with like a little piano and by the end you've got luscious strings and a whole mm-hmm. whole big thing so I, I think that education was worth it. Yeah. And I think this is a song which uh, shows exactly how uh, Anthony uh, Ant's um, musical songwriting does deviate from Genesis. This mm-hmm. is a, not an area where Genesis I think would have, have, have headed mm-hmm. in um, so I suppose in some ways you could say that it is interesting, uh, as a Genesis fan, interesting for that element alone in some ways. Well, Genesis went in that direction, but much later than this. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this has got more of a Phil Collins solo album yeah. sort of feel yeah. to it in, this, in, in, in that sort of sense like of sadness. This, yeah, a song like this could be on face value, for example. You know, that kind of melancholic... You know, I'm going through my divorce type of situation. <laughs> um, it does, the regrets are secret cemeteries, one of the lines in the last verse, which I'm like, that's fantastic. That's just, you know, yeah. a great bit of writing there and, you know, a great image or how you can think of regrets. And I I like this song. I was making a little bit of fun of it before because it is that 70s ballad, yeah. sad, I want to slit my wrists while I listen to this. But it's but that's what it sets out to be. So it is very successful at doing that. Uh, I think Tom probably likes this song the most of the four of us. Uh, I, I do. I, it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of... Uh, there's a Michael Jackson song called uh, She's Out of My Life. Oh, yeah. Where he's kind of like crying at the end. And I kind of expected to hear like some weeping in this song from Anthony. But... That was me. But Tom, you're the most sensitive and of it, the four it, of us. Instead, he whispers into the microphone, 
I will kill again. <laughs> <laughs> that's the regret. That's his regret. Yeah. Yes. So that's uh, so yeah. I think it's it's good, but it 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 you you know what you're getting with this song, but it does it well. So I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it the thumbs up again for regrets. But now we're going to go into the greenhouse. Here, a west wind calling. I hear it calling my name. Snow, a green light falling. The ice is melting Sitting in an English garden. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm song confused here for a second. <laughs> it is incredibly Beatlesque. Yes, this very Beatlesque. I think, as I mentioned before, I, I think he definitely had some influences, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, they come out in the song, uh, and I can't hear the song without thinking of that bit from I Am the Walrus. Yeah. And it reminded me, actually, musically, of the Julian Lennon song from. Um, uh, from the mid '80s, his first big hit, like "Sitting on a Pebble by the River, Playing Guitar," like that's like it just felt like that to me too. But it, it, there's a lot it, of there's, going. There's on. a lot of <laughs> a lot of Beatles family in this stuff. So yeah, no, it's 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 there. You know, I think that Ant has a weird idea of what a pop song is. Yes, and which is good. I I like the quirkiness of it. But it's also like like I'm amazed that of that of all record labels, Arista put this out, which was kind of known for being very mainstreamish type of thing, with maybe some left field stuff. Was this a kinda, single? Then? I don't think it was a single, but just Arista as a record company putting this out okay. as saying, "Oh, this this is a good this this has commercial potential. I got I see a hit, boys. You know, that's." <laughs> I mean, of... not to be the cynic in the room, but I will be. Um, this is. <laughs> When this album came out, it was just as Genesis started getting popular. They were yeah. they were filling stadiums. You know, you think about 77, 78. So you think so, some guy with a big cigar. So, yeah, so it would be big cigar said, well, he was in Genesis, and Genesis, Genesis are popular, final, so yeah. let's uh, let's do that. But well, also, the, you know. The, a lot of the promos for this yeah. mention the fact that he was yeah. in Genesis. I mean, granted, it was eight years prior yeah. to this. But that's another reason why. But that's why. a selling point. Yeah, that yeah. is a selling point. It we, still is I mean, a selling point. I don't, yeah. you know. And we talked about eight years like, it was such a long time ago, yeah. eight years ago. Now it's like, yeah, 30 some years and it's like, you know, if long, longer than 30 some years and it's like, oh yeah, people use that connection. Well, here's a question for you on that topic. Do you see Anthony Phillips as an ex-member of Genesis or an artist in his own right? I, I see him as an ex-member of Genesis, but just because that's how I even heard about him. So, but I, I think musically, his solo career, like you think of the other solo careers, at least I do, as kind of in that Genesis family, and his is, is there, but a bit more to the side. Not because of quality, but just because of the time frame of his work and the amount of time he was in the band for. Not that that minimizes it, but it was just that he was there at the start and then left. If he had been there until 73, 74, 75, I think it would be 
looked at differently. He would have a different profile because of that. But I, I still look at his solo career as, as part of that Genesis family. So, but he is, but perhaps the of the most of them, he's the one who's, well, maybe Phil and Peter too, but, but he stands separate from Genesis because there are people who probably are fans of his music, but who only vaguely know of his connection to Genesis. It's like when, at least for people our age, who mm-hmm. may have gotten into Genesis because of Phil's solo work, which happened to me, I knew Phil's solo work before I knew Genesis, or maybe even I knew Peter Gabriel's solo work, and from there jumped back into Genesis. I don't think there's people who would discover Anthony Phillips' solo work on their own and then just make the connection to Genesis. Right. It's not like you have You're to really find his library of music. <laughs> you have yeah. to find your way through yeah. Genesis. How do you find Anthony Phillips? Right, but that doesn't mean he isn't in his own right his own. I mean, everything he's done his whole career, and he probably has more albums like him he's and Steve Hackett more than the yeah. other, than the others. Yeah. So he's definitely an artist in his own right, but I think you, you do find him through Genesis. So yeah. you find that Genesis is the hook? I think it is Absolutely. for most people. Yeah. yeah, it is. And he doesn't play live, as we talked about. Yeah. And, you know, I think... Actually, it's great to see he's promoting you know, all these um, album reissues yeah. and the box sets come out recently. He's being a little bit more vocal about... Um, and the promotions going out there because it's, it, it's a... Now with, you know all the different social platforms and just mm-hmm. the internet in general, he has a, his own way to connect with fans directly. Right. Um, whereas where, you know, you think about the late seventies up until, you know, early two thousands, maybe he, he didn't really have a, the promotional push of a, a record company behind him as some of the other artists. So it mm-hmm. might've been harder to, to discover him in his own right. So that's why I think, you know, I think it's great that he's out there and he's talking about his music and he's still active today. But, you know, if we're talking about getting into him, you know, when Genesis was active, yeah, yeah, it's probably really, really hard unless you knew he was part of the Genesis and you were able to kind of like look back and hunt for it. So this song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's we're right. talking about a song. Right. This song's <laughs> fine. You know, it. I, yeah. I think it kind of... I, I like it, but it also just kind of ends at the end of it. It doesn't really have you know, a conclusion for, for me. Whereas I think a lot of the other songs here actually do wrap up very well. So Yeah, and then you guys were talking about this being very much, inf- it sounds like it's influenced by the Beatles. To me, this is a big, big train song blueprint. Course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next uh, track is called Paper Chase. Gathered in, we call. 
One of the things that Anthony Phillips uh, mentioned in the Wikipedia article, which I didn't get a chance to mention, was he was trying to do something, an instrumental album at the time, based on the story of Tarka the Otter. Oh, and right. he was getting zero interest. Mm. And as a result, he said, I had to write, <laughs> I had to write an album of pop yeah. songs. And I yes. put pop in yes, inverted exactly. commas, which um, leads me round to the kind of material that we're hearing on this album mm. is what, obviously, Anthony Phillips considered to be the, the poppier end of his repertoire. Mm-hmm. And there is an awful lot of similarity, in my personal opinion, between what he was doing with this material and what Genesis was still working on yeah. uh, around about the same time. And um, one of the things that really hits home to me is exactly how much of a lasting influence his songs, I suppose, or at least mm-hmm. his attitude towards songs, had on Genesis as a band, because yeah. there's a lot of similarity, especially with this song. I mean, we were talking about, uh, I can't remember what the other song was, uh, for, for Your Own Special Way, but this song is even more Your Own Special yeah. Way. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's that type of thing where, you know, you can see why they were in a band together in the first place, yeah. because it, it has that same interest. And actually said later on, his album 1984 which is very keyboard-heavy, he was thinking a lot of Tony Banks when he did that. I mean, 1984 is pretty much all keyboards. It's and funnily of, enough, that yeah. was the very first album of his I heard. Well, there you go. That's And that's an interesting one, because it's very... it's Very unlike the rest of his yes, discography. Right. Because it's, it's all keyboards and, and rolling beatboxes yeah, and stuff. exactly. So it's it's of its time. I think that came out in the early 80s at some point. And it's, it's a good album, but it's very... I wouldn't say it's probably not the best first Ant Phillips album to listen to if you want to get a sense of his. We're t- talking a lot about other things, at least on my perspective, because this is probably my least favorite track on the album. And I'm with you on that as well, yeah. This is the one where... This is Tom's can... favorite track on the album. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to talk about it all day. <laughs> it, out, out of all the tracks, I could kind of say, all right, you tell me the title of it, I could, tell, I could remember it. This is the one where... Every time it comes to the paper trace, I'm like, I have no clue what I'm about to hear. <laughs> I, I, it doesn't leave any impressions on me. Yeah. Uh, when I'm then I listen to it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's it. And the next time I listen to it, I'm like, I don't know what the song's. Right. I'm, yeah. I don't know what I'm about to. Like hear. I kind of like the chorus of this, but until yeah. the chorus starts, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot this chorus was a part of this song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, I wrote a very Rutherf- Rutherfordy chorus. Yeah, that's right. I wrote down my notes. Man, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. It doesn't. Um, it is very pretty. Yeah. And it's a. It's um. It's a nice ballad. In fact, I I enjoy it as a ballad more than regrets. But I think it just kind of plods along a little too much yeah. for me. And it's this is in in general these types of tracks these slow numbers, you know. It, me liking them is the exception, not the rule. So I'll, it's not a surprising thing that this is not really grabbing. You me. have to remember, but at the time of this of this release, ballads were what was selling. Oh, True. Oh yeah, sure. You think of some of those mid to late seventies songs that are out there, and it, and you're like, oh yeah, this is this is of that family. He and, wanted to write a classic, yeah. and he wanted to write it in an attic. <laughs> So yeah, so this is, I like the bass in the chorus, I like the boom, you know, anytime basses do How's that, boom, you know, small talk. So the, anytime that stuff happens, I'm happy with it, and you know, it's, 
it's it's fine, but it leaves no, as Tom said, it leaves no lasting memory yeah. for me. Uh, if this is your favorite track on the album, sorry, but, you know. It's a footprint on moss. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I never heard that metaphor before. Footprint, footprint on Mars, you said? Moss. Moss. I was like, Mars? That would actually be kind of impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, footprint on moss. I like that. That's good. You can have it. All right, we'll use it. That was so. his fourth album, wasn't it? Yeah. Footprint on moss, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, so, the next uh, track and the final one in the actual running of the album is Now, what are they doing to my little friends? <laughs> I dreamed no was nothing. Sheltedly, so late that I heard the sound I feared, and then I saw their coats all smeared in blood. I knew my fate, nowhere to hide. I dreamed I was. Then I heard a hunting horn ringing out its song, song of death we know so well. How can I tell? For I, I am sun. another really long song yeah. for the album um i think it's a little over eight minutes just like wise after the event i think it's really lush um this is another one not as dynamic as wise um but it has some nice you know changes and kind of takes you on a like a, it's his journey song um mm. i think on the album um and i think this this track in particular showcases how strong he is as a keys player um, yes. And that's one of the, you know, when we, we covered Small Creeps Day, you know, Ant was the keyboard player yes. for that album. And that was one of my favorite things about the album was his playing on it. It was fantastic. So, um, and when you say it's like a journey song, it's more like a, a trip song like Stagnation, not yeah. Journey Can't Stop Believing song. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank let's, you let's, for clarifying, because yes. they're two completely different things. Um, yes, and sorry, I was speaking in, in my Genesis yes. language. You know? I think we might, and even the listeners may have known that, but I, I just thought I was like, oh, like, People might not have caught that. <laughs> yes, this this song sounds exactly like "Don't Stop Believing." Exactly. Um, They'll roll up their sleeves and get yeah. their stubble on. Yep, yep. 
Um, so yeah, I really like it. I think it's a great ending because those last two minutes are more hair-raising, yeah, gorgeous. gorgeousness, um, super lush piano kind of atmosphere going on. Well, does it? Did he? Does it repeat the instrumental after a wise after the event a little bit? Because I thought I caught that it sounded kind of like the end of the keyboardy end of wise after the event. I'd have to give it a solid listen again, but there could be some references there. So this is a song about animal abuse and things like that. He wrote it after seeing a documentary about like baby seals and stuff like that. Um, So it is sad, but it's uh, when you look at it, it talks about he dreams it was an otter, dreams it was red stag, a big bear, gray seal. It's all, what are they doing to his little friends? Oh, now this part of the album cover makes more sense. (laughs) <laughs> yes so why i, I kind of like how it just from this from the songs from the from the subject matter he definitely seems like a very environmental yes, yeah. friendly animal lover like yeah. greenhouse he now what are they doing to my little friends mm-hmm. obviously the song squirrel bird song like mm-hmm. like very nature friendly kind of guy yeah i think i i i would concur with that i think that made sense when you look at you know, his work and, you know, the the kind of, even the album cover, which we'll talk about a little bit too, it's like, it's it seems very, you know, there's a lot of animals on here. There's a lot of natural things here. They don't say his music is pastoral for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes. The uh, So yeah, I, I like this song, It's it's it, but it is sad when you know it, what it's about. It can, has... A lot of Ant's music feels like it's singing about loss in some ways. Well, there's a lot of sensitivity running yeah. through all of his, his tracks. And, you know, that's I think it's purposely built in, yeah. that, that level of empathy. Yeah. And if you're not kind of built to it to, to like music like that, I think you're going to listen to this and be like, what is this guy moping about? Mm-hmm. Give, me, give me something a little bit more upbeat and everything. But it's... If... If you like Genesis, I think you're halfway there to this anyway. Yeah. Just in general. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I think you're missing out on a lot of what Genesis is about, too. Even kind of the up songs are not necessarily 100% up. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's something that this is, again, kind of an aspect of that distilled down to Aunt Phillips' version of that. And, and there's a lot of melancholy in there, which, you know, if you're in the right mood, can hit, hit me in the right way. Now... Just as we were talking off mic a few mm. seconds ago, Tom, you said that this album garnered a very sort of Marmite one thing or the other response from fans and critics. Right. I think there was a, a review at the time which was not very... Uh, <laughs> not kind. Not kind. I think when you write something where you can listen to this anim- listen to this album while uh, knocking Cutler around in the sink... Then yeah. it's not really a positive review. Right. Not at the time. I mean, a lot of the, especially the English music press was probably much more into punk and kind of, you know, being trendy at that time, which this album is not trendy at all. Well, I mean, this song in particular, you think about the polar opposite of what the Sex Pistols were coming at around that time. Right. And you listen to this song where he's crying about baby seals. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a, you know, if you're going to listen to this album, it's an endeavor. You have to really sit and listen to it, and it's not something you could just have, and it's more visceral. Yeah. This is more academic. Right. Well, because if you're not paying attention to it, it does all sound the same. Exactly. I totally yeah. get that critique of this, that mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're not listening to this, you don't kind of get what, what one song is versus another. But if you listen to it, it's rewarding. You may not like everything on it, but I think you'll like enough 
that you'll be like, oh, this is good. This is this carries me through. And I think that um, a lot of the immersion is actually carried by the lyrical content on yes. this album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you pay attention to that, it's uh, gives you a different le- appreciation for it. So with that, again, well, the, the next track is actually kind of a bonus there, but it's kind of included probably on the CDs as part of the running order with this, and it's called Squirrel. Out at night I saw a squirrel lying in a ditch beneath a great elm tree Gray and weak His tiny eyes revealed The secret of this vigil Strange and free Ah, after I pursued We to be the most moving poignant song about roadkill that there has ever been the song is hilarious <laughs> this is i'm not kidding you, this is a dark song yes, yes it is it's the saddest i, I keep saying a song is the saddest song i've ever heard this might be one of the sad songs that i'm and i'm kind of laughing about it just because it's like before I listened to this for the podcast, I, I knew the squirrel, and I'm like, oh, look at the happy squirrel on the front of the album cover, and especially in the back, that squirrel's adorable. The squirrel eating the toxic golf ball. <laughs> that's why he dies. That's why he dies. In so the song. this this is a song about uh, Aunt Wait. Philip seeing a dying squirrel. A dying squirrel on the side of the road. No, un- okay. beneath a great elm tree in a ditch. Oh. Even worse. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to lighten it up by saying he's out for a country stroll. And he's talking about the poor squirrel in a ditch. And it's just like, oh, I knew this song was sad, but I didn't, hadn't really listened to it. It's amazing that I thought that uh, Tony Banks' A Curious Feeling was a down ending. <laughs> <laughs> Until you hear this. I feel bad because I know he's putting his heart into this yeah. dying creature. But I, I, I've tried. I've listened to the song... I couple dozen times since we were preparing i cannot hear it without laughing because it's just so serious about a dead squirrel and i i don't don't laugh at it like the heartless tom (laughs) roche but but it is like um i i feel the sadness but i'm also like i like i don't like it is a bit much for it 
You think it tips over from tragedy to maudlin? Yeah. Because it's not even, I'm like looking at the lyrics now, it's not like the squirrel is a metaphor. He's literally talking about an actually dying squirrel. That's what I think it is for me. Yeah, me too. And maybe just because the squirrel is so gosh darn cute on the cover. I don't know. That flesh pocket disturbs me. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I, I... I appreciate, as I think I said earlier, I appreciate the ballsiness of, even though this was cut from the album, it was the B-side of the single. And what was the single? Uh, I think it was Where All As We Lie, <laughs> if I remember right. So, um, but yeah, it's either, I think it was a We Are All yeah, As We it's Lie. Where all yeah, All As We Lie was and, and Squirrel was the B-side. So if you're like, hey, We Are All As We Lie, flip this over, and you get this song, which was supposed to be on the album, but because the space wasn't there. It's it's so rough. It's, it's the family sad. snapshot of the animal kingdom. <laughs> exactly, yes. So so that's how Peter addresses certain things. This is how Ant does. But again, it's, it's as Ant Phillips as you can get. Like that's that's what I appreciate about this that he's like I have this song about a squirrel that I wrote it's from right after he left Genesis he's like this has been on my mind for eight years I gotta get this out <laughs> and it's gonna be the B side so and and it's gonna be primely featured as part of the album cover so anyway that's I I liked the song for that aspect of it is it a bit maudlin a bit trekly yes it is. I'm glad he left out the part where he tried to give it mouth to mouth. That, that was <laughs> Tom is ruining my moment here. Uh, all through the night you will lie. Each moment death's hour draws nigh. Silent. <laughs> no, you're all going to hell. Uh, silently, your hooded brothers lay you down so the other squirrels come around and have a little burial procession for him. Your hooded brothers lay you down to sleep forever into time. Peace at last has come to you as a mother's fading whispers to her child. Hour after hour I pursued, though you are gone, I will still remember you. So again, this is an eternal thing now. I think you're nuts. Oh, there we go. I can I can understand and appreciate the sincerity. Yes. This song yes. does not collect, connect okay. with me emotionally, not because I don't think it's it's a a, a bad lyric. It is yes. a great lyric, but it is so downbeat. There's yes. absolutely no contrast in the mm-hmm. You know, it literally is old yeller. <laughs> well, this, this this is Damn a type wrong. of this is a type of album that in my head I kind of rearrange, and I almost want to make this the music not match the word. I want that kind of white reggae type of thing behind this. Well, behind that song? Yes. What? Yes, and and it kind of be very up, like a canary in the coal mine type of song. And then if you read it, you're like, oh my god. Okay, this Mike. Is what this Mike. Is about. Come back to us. <laughs> I have a lot of weird cover versions in my head for, for this stuff. I don't know but where, so, yeah. but Simon, can you pronounce the title of this song once more? Squirrel. 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 No, you you pronounced it squirrel. Yes. You've got to pronounce the consonant. Squirrel. 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 There you go. You got this it. is separated separated by a common language here. So this is fascinating. So we're at the end. Uh, there's one thing I do want to mention on the at the end of the album. Uh, as part of the uh, bonus tracks, there were a lot of linking bits recorded for this album. There was almost supposed to be a little bit Abbey Roadish here with songs kind of segueing into each other. And the 
the bonus tracks on the uh, on the di- on the uh, re-release give you that opportunity to hear what some of those bits are, and I think you can even kind of program your CD player CD player who uses those anymore <laughs> your uh, computer to kind of play this album as it as it was envisioned by Ant back in the days. So segueing from talking about Squirrel into the album because he, that little guy is so uh, featured. My name is Doug. I am sad. <laughs> What's that little squirrel? Um, people talk a lot about the album cover with this done by Peter Cross, who's done a lot of Ant's album covers both in the past and I think even up to the present day. He's worked on a couple re-releases and things like that. People love this album cover. There's references galore in the artwork to many of the tracks on the album. And, you know, what do you all think of it? I love the artwork. I think it's I, I think it's probably one of the strongest um, covers that he actually uh, was associated with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it too, because um, it's so striking and, and it's it does reference, you know, all of the different tracks, like Genesis, uh, early 70s albums. In fact, you can see a little bit of Foxtrot in that bubble at the bottom right, (laughs) it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, so it it, it is very striking, Um, and it's cool. Like, I would have that on a T-shirt, so if anybody (laughs) wants to put on a T-shirt, you know, let me know. And it's got that very hipster typeface. Yeah. That that is incredibly popular nowadays, you know, for for years it went out of fashion. It's quintessentially 70s. It's it's very, yeah, it's very 70s. It's very, like, it's very English to me looking at this as an American. It's very, the style is, you know, kind of illustration, not comic booky, but... If I were back in the 70s and saw this in the record store, I'd at least look at it if I didn't even know who Ant Phillips was. I think that it it does make me wonder what it's about, first of all. It's a squirrel on the moon. It'd be interesting to see what people who bought this album, because when they bought it, originally Squirrel wasn't on the album. So they're probably wondering why there's this big squirrel on the cover. But, you know... Looking back now, we know why that right. so features so prominently. Yeah, and the lyric sheet does say that it, even though it includes the lyrics of Squirrel, there's a little asterisk that says "not contained on this album, but will be available on the forthcoming single and by the road outside your house." <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you're joining us, Mike. Yeah, right. even I can make horrible, horrible jokes about Squirrel. So, with all that being said, let's hear from Tom about his poll. Tom shows you his bowl. All right, well, uh, before I get to the poll, let's we'll go around, we'll say what our favorite songs are, and I think I'll go first just because it's exactly the opposite of what Stacey said. <laughs> I voted for Moonshooter. I, I just, as I said, it, it really did everything for me. I love listening to that song, even though it's got a little bit of your own special way. I, I just love the strumming to it, the feel to it, the, the, the way the piano is added mm-hmm. increasingly towards the end. And uh, I just, it's a really lovely song, and it just makes me feel good. Good for you. I respect your choices. Um, and yeah, so my mine was it. Mine is wise after the event. It was it was close with Birdsong because I really like that track too. Um, but wise after the event ha- was the most dynamic. It had the most contrast. Um, and really, though, that like I said, those last ninety seconds. Um, there isn't any. I've never heard anything like it anywhere else. So the deal for absolutely, it. yeah. Very good. 
it's interesting that I personally think that the three strongest songs of the album are Moonshooter, Wise After the Event and Pulling Faces, and they're all one after the other, mm-hmm. okay. right in the middle of the album. Yeah. And I ummed and ahed for ages over all three, and it came down really between Moonshooter and Wise After the Event. And I went wise after the event. Oh. Yes! Suck it, <laughs> Well, I was thinking with this, I kind of was thinking, you know, the, the first track for All This We Lied and kind of the obvious one, you know, starts off the album. Um, there were a couple other ones that were in the running as I was doing this. Uh, I actually put Regrets as one of the top ones for me also because okay. it was there. Squirrel... I, yeah, I love that little squirrel. Um, but I went for... You uh, have a thing I do. It's, well, because we, we had squirrels in our backyard growing up that we were very close to. I, I identify with them. I have to agree with Mr. Roche with Moonshooter! What? What? <laughs> yes, I actually thought it was one of those ones that surprised me when I heard it. That when I was, again, really paying attention for it, for this... For this uh, a podcast i was like this is a great song and it yeah. really jumped out at me so and stacy's rolling her eyes at me just like <laughs> nah still, that's yeah, not I right still respect your choice all right even though you're wrong that's fine well there's it's two <laughs> against two we'll be arm wrestling later on yes so tom now we get to hear from the fans yeah let's see what they said here are the rankings all right well, the, well funny thing about when i put my poll up uh was that I had put the poll it never gets on? Higher. <laughs> doesn't. No. <it> doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hey Is that I had put the poll up on Facebook before I'd actually listened to the album. Ooh. So when someone commented, "Oh, are you going to leave off the two obvious choices that everyone's going to pick?" I had no clue if they were joking, <laughs> <laughs> if they were joking or serious, right. because I had no clue what would yeah, be the obvious, the obvious choices. choices. Yes. What was kind of a, a surprisingly coming in at number. Seven. Him there were se- seven because there were there's a three way ties. Okay. Yes. Last song, only one vote was Bird Song and Reprise, Aww. which I, kind of surprised me. I thought that was a very good song, and there yeah. are others that weren't as good. All right, coming in sixth place was Greenhouse with All two right. votes. Okay. <laughs> All right, coming in for fifth place, a three way tie at seven and a half percent. Okay. Were Pulling Faces. Okay. Paper Chase right. and Regrets. Right. So I think Paper Chase was the one that surprised me that scored higher than yeah. the other yeah, two. Yeah, sure. All right, number four was Moonshooter at 10%. Ah, see? Yeah, I, I was surprised that didn't score Yeah, I higher. thought that was of the emotional songs yeah. like that on the album. That's In third place at 17% was We're All As We Lie. Yeah, that would be Okay. Which I guess, see, and I, I think a lot of times, sometimes if an album isn't familiar with people... They sometimes vote for the first song yeah. because that's the one they stop listening to after. <laughs> so, so it's the only one they know. I think that happened with uh, one of the other solo albums we listened to where the first song rated very highly. Sure. All right, number two. All right, one and two here. Number two with 22% of the vote was Wise After the Event. Very good. Mm-hmm. Leaving number one at 23%. Not a big difference between first and second, uh-huh. but... More people voted for now. What are they doing to my little friends? Really oh. interesting. You see, I would have flipped those around mm-hmm. if if just ranking those two songs with each other. Those right. did kind of go back and forth yeah. as the poll was getting bigger and bigger, and more people were voting. <laughs> yeah, those kind of fought for the top spot. Okay, interesting. That's not surprising at all because I think yeah we talked about how they were very similar. 
Um, yeah. Cool. So just beat you by a tip. Just by a tip. <laughs> exactly. Tip of my paw. Yes. So, well, looking at this now in the context of Ant's solo career, if 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 you were a listener out there and this was your first exposure to Ant Phillips, I think you can't go wrong either going back to Geese and the Ghost and hearing what that's all about or moving forward to Sides and checking that album out. And then he has a plethora of different albums out there, some that are all instrumental guitar music, some that are, you know, more piano, keyboardish out there. There's a series of albums he's done called Private Parts and Pieces, which are often kind of alternate tracks from some of his albums or all, or things that just didn't have a home. Uh, that's a mix of a lot of different stuff. If you like kind of moody, pastoral music that has that sometimes you don't quite know where it's going to go his solo career is a great place to dive into and there's a lot of the album there's a lot of albums out there so check them out and it's a lot easier to find them now compared to when i was in the when it was in the 90s and i would have to go buy imports for 30 bucks a cd now you can get them through esoteric that you can get them through if you're in the u.s through amazon for reasonably priced yeah and i I think we talked about this when we when we uh recorded for the interview you did with him mike Mm -hmm. and it was so hard when when i was getting into the band to find anything aunt phillips here in the States. And so I really came late to getting to know a solo mm-hmm. career because it was just not accessible. Yeah. So um, I'm glad I'm playing catch up now. Yes. I came even later. That's what she said. <laughs> hey, oh. Hey, uh, Not until a few, like a month or so before this podcast did I listen to any <laughs> Anthony Phillips. So uh, my regrets, as I say, are just not exploring his uh, solo career before this because there is some good stuff if, if you're the type of person who says i want to delve into steve's career tony's career mike's career step into anthony phillips career because you'll be pleasantly pleasantly surprised with this album uh geese and the ghost and mm-hmm. side so so you've listened to those three, so, to those far. three so far of those three which is your favorite Probably this one I'll come back okay. to with followed closely second by Geese and the Ghost. But Geese and the Ghost, you kind of have to be in a mood to to listen to. I, I really like it, okay. but I think this one you can put on and just relax to it. But, okay. but yeah, back in the day uh, when I was first discovering uh, Genesis, and you start to dive deep into the world of of their music and also the fans as well, because. You know, they are a separate and very vital entity to the whole process as well. But we would often joke about the fact that you weren't really a Genesis fan until you had an opinion about an Ant Phillips album. (laughs) (laughs) My this is my personal favourite, with possibly 1984 as a mm-hmm. um, as a close second. But that really is down to the fact that that was my entry into the world of Ant Phillips was 1984, sure. which you should check out if you get a chance. It is a very different kind of Anthony Phillips that you're getting on that album compared to the rest of his discography. I really genuinely think that he's a, a talented man mm-hmm. who also had a very specific vision about his music and was very single-minded in pursuing that vision. When you see musicians who are, or any type of creative endeavor, that obviously are following their own path and, you know, critical response or audience response be damned, you, you have to be impressed by that. And I think that there's obviously, you know, if record companies like Esoteric are 
you know, willing to put out this stuff, it's because there is a, a group of people out there who like this music. And I think it's fantastic that, you know, that it's getting kind of a new a new audience because of that mm -hmm. and that Ant is able to continue producing new music. He just put out in the last couple months a um, new, I think a, basically a double CD of guitar pieces, which are really nice and there's a lot of good music in there. I've listened to it once or twice. I need to listen to it more to get more into it. Um, but I think that you can't go wrong with his solo career. And if, But like anything, I always say, if you listen to it and if it doesn't speak to you, Maybe it's just not for you, and that's fine. But you know, you no, it's not. No, it's not yet. Like exactly. It. You must like everything this man does, or else why do we do a podcast about it? He is so, a master instrumentalist. Yeah, yes. he is, and he and he's a great arranger, and he has a great sense of drama to his music, and where it comes out is in some of those arrangements. So, so listen to it over and over again till you can report back. So please report back to us. So I think we're at the end. This is Mike Lord. This is Tom. This is Stacy. And this is the dead squirrel. <laughs> oh, so sad. <laughs> and we'll all but the dead squirrel will be back for the next episode of Tabletop Genesis. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com along with updates, polls and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have new shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes. <laughs>